I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah, I've been here... um since about 10 a.m. today um just been working on some mixed tweaks for a band i think like my mornings always start with me kind of uh getting as many tweaks in as possible because bands send you stuff at like all sorts of hours there there is no like start time so yeah i think i got some mixed tweaks like 2 a.m last night and i was like okay I'll come in early, get them out of the way, and then I can just focus on some dead nature stuff today and just kind of focus on writing more than anything. But yeah, no, it's cool. It is. It's nice to it's nice to kind of um, have a place where I can just come in whenever I want and either write for myself or work with other people. That's how long have you been in there? The um, studio. I've been in here for two years, nearly. Wow. Yeah. So quite a while. And so I used to live in London before when I was in a band called Spring King. And then we, when we broke up, I came to Liverpool because I studied here. And um, I set up a studio. The PRS gave me like a production grant uh, called like the Hitmaker Fund. Using that money, I set up this studio and just kind of tried to make a place where bands could come in and record whenever they wanted and just work on continually work on music basically can i just like a wee hub yeah like a wee hub yeah without without like it. it yeah <laughs> With, yeah exactly i'm trying to get this thing out of the way um the pop shield it looks it feels weird not being able to, not being able to see someone's mouth when you're talking to them on the video <laughs> <laughs> i think you can get like i think like joe rogan has one of those ones that comes down from the ceiling or something you know <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> that guy one day yeah <laughs> yeah he's a he's a funny guy yeah he really is um i don't really watch his podcasts but the the things i some of the some of it's interesting but some of it's a bit uh, yeah not not my thing <laughs> it's in well i remember i kind of got into him like 2017 which was before like it was still huge but it was before it kind of went 
biggest podcast in the world type okay, thing. Okay, yeah. And it does feel like it's gotten a little bit more extreme, maybe would be the term. Yeah. A little bit more out there sometimes. Yeah. And politically, it can be a little bit... I, ha- I guess it's good to good to be challenged sometimes in that sense. You know, it's good to kind of have have to listen to things that you don't always agree with. Um, that's kind of, for, for me, that's, that's something I've been learning over the past few years. Cause like a couple of my friends, like it's weird cause I, I've got friends from all walks of life and some of them have very different views to me, but we're still friends. And obviously as long as they're not extreme or like, you know, it, it has no like sources of hate attached to it or anything but like some of the you know it's just really interesting talking to people and actually having to have a discussion with someone where you genuinely don't agree with each other and you're not going to raise your voices and turn it into a shouting war or or decide well I'm not going to speak to them ever again because I don't agree with them in a in a you know I just yeah I think it's interesting too if you know them as a person because then you can view what they're saying in context of who they are and you can always kind of see why they've gotten to that place and you can understand why they have that pattern of thinking exactly yeah there's an element of you know when you know someone quite well and then they have differing opinions to you um that you know like I don't know I know a lot of people who maybe wouldn't wouldn't I guess want to talk to anyone that has differing opinions to them we, we kind of all fall into these like strange bubbles sometimes um more now than ever more now than ever yeah so um especially with like the nature of echo chambers and kind of you know our social media just gives us more of what we agree with and um yeah i try i, I try my best to kind of talk about subjects that kind of i feel really comfortable with but then i have to talk to someone who is the complete opposite on the same subject um but yeah we digress as well, if, you're, if you're for if you're forced to explain your opinion though and kind of back it up it then strengthens it yeah or gives you alternating viewpoints on it and maybe you shift slightly yeah i think i'm always looking to shift in some way because if i haven't shifted for me anyway personally like if i haven't shifted a little bit then i haven't learned anything and there's always something to learn you know there's there's always something and Maybe it's not something that, you know, it doesn't have to be something extreme, but there's always like smaller, finer details in a conversation where you're like, all right, fair enough. Maybe I'm wrong on that and blah, blah, blah. You know, I think it's good. I think it's, but yeah, how did we get onto that? I have no idea. We're going to have to, <laughs> <laughs> have to press I mean, rewind. It, kinda, it links into the, the record a little bit because like Ladlands is kind of touching upon that. For sure. Yeah. Ladlands is, for me, I wrote Ladlands because... On the one side, of, especially during lockdown, there was so much. Um, there was so much from both sides of the coin, in a way. Like there was a lot of extremist views on both sides. We had coronavirus kicking off in March, whilst Trump was still in power, and you had, you know, a couple of leaders around the world who were like saying some pretty mad shit. Really, um, it's like Brazil's president and stuff. Wasn't yeah, it? Bolsonaro. Can I just Bolsonaro? Yeah. Oh. denying the what was going on really yeah. in a odd yeah fashion. yeah so you know we there was so much being said from you know like to the point where it was even feeding into like um close friends and family with misinformation and everyone was you know uh forwarding information on whatsapp and facebook and all these places and you know actually to to whatsapp's kind of 
um what's the word uh you know like respect to whatsapp basically for putting in that feature now where it says if something's been forwarded many times they never used to have that so now it's easier to tell if something is just circulating and if it's it's potentially bullshit so yeah i think ladlands for me was like on the one hand you had people who felt like their powers were being taken away from them especially during even though Ladlands was written just before, it was all, it was kind of inspired by, I don't know. So basically, I'm, I'm really a rambler here. The whole point of the album was it was all written just before uh, coronavirus, like in the in four or five months before, because I, I write in quite big bursts. And I, so I started in November um, 2019 and then 2020 by January, February, I was done. And then I was just mastering it and then lockdown happened. So... Um, I actually got the masters back like a week after lockdown, but you know, leading up to that point, the whole point of writing that whole, that album, there was a lot of like confusion and kind of exhaustion in me. I was very exhausted by like social media at the time. And I was kind of just feeling really burnt out by it all. Um, you know, watch me break apart is the title of the record. And Ladlands was this specific part of social media where like everyone feels like they're losing control on all sides. Like, people who are fighting for the greater good in my opinion feel like they're constantly losing control because there's a lot of um especially with like climate crisis for instance like there's a constant uphill battle where there's so much activism and so much kind of um energy put into fighting fighting against these huge corporations who are constantly um you know digging for fossil fuels and people like that feel like they're losing control of a situation. But on the other side, it's like people on like the far right feel like they're losing control. You know, everyone feels like they're, they're letting go of something and their values are being taken away from them, whether it's like patriotic and like, or nation nationalistic values. Um, so I don't know. Ladlands was kind of this combination where everyone just constantly feels like some, someone's taking this away from me. I'm running out of power. So on the one one side, it's like politicians who feel like they're losing control of a situation, especially like um, power hungry politicians. Um, but on the other side, it's it's people who are trying to maybe you know pe pro people with like progressive views who also feel like they're losing control. And uh, yeah, Ladlands for me was this combination. And so I wrote it from both angles and you can read the lyrics from both sides. Do you feel like those echo chambers have kind of been enhanced since coronavirus, even though this was written prior to it? Yeah, I think so. I think it's, um, I don't know, like uh, I, I just feel like it, every day it kind of gets worse and worse on social media now. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm definitely a, I'm an optimist at heart, but I, I do feel like, things are getting strangely weirder by the day um but then then again like we we go through phases all the time culturally and in society you know like just to you know like every time there's like a a huge crisis in the world there's always people on both sides like you know i was reading the history about the influenza in the 30s or late 20s and um you know, there were, there were people then refusing to wear masks and people then saying it was control and people, you know, saying it was, um, you know, and although it was like in the print press and it was all in newspapers and word of mouth, like it was, you know, it, 
relative to the, the technological means of the time, people did also feel then like they were losing control of their rights. And, you know, I think, I, I think that will it, always it's, happen. It's rude in truth that that's the kind of issue with it. Yes. I think. Yeah. It's just that when you look at it, people have lost control and we have kind of brought in these draconian measures and it's understandable why you see people have that reaction to it. Totally. It's reacting in fear. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I, I think we're always reacting relative to what's available to us at the time. So like right now, the measures are really extreme at times. Um, and some of the things that they're trying to put in place, especially when they were talking about COVID passports, like I don't think that's... I've got some issues, yeah. Yeah, I've got some issues with that, but like that's relative to where we're at and... I think always through society, there's always going to be a like um, there's going to be an uproar to everything, and sometimes it's for the good of it, and sometimes it's like you know like people who don't want to wear masks, um, like back in well even now, like I would I still think we should be wearing masks in in supermarkets and transport to to protect staff. At the same time, you know that's that's something that eight months ago we'd a lot of us would be like agreeing and like, yeah, we have to all wear masks. But now, you know, I know people who are like, no, we shouldn't wear masks anymore. And you know, like it's, it's funny that that line is always shifting. It's, it's, it's not something you can, you can constantly have set in stone for me. Um, I feel like you always have to check where you are relative to that line. And that line is always changing based on things evolving month by month, even, you know, um, I mean, it's the same with anything, even if we come back to it on like a kind of broader political level, people who would have been considered maybe slightly like center left and progressive 15 years ago would now be considered center right. Yeah. Because the, it keeps shifting. As we keep progressing, you have to move with it or else you just get left behind. Totally. And, you know, you can, you know, I, I can, I can understand how people can very quickly feel isolated from like, um, an opinion they were once like strongly attached to or you know because it drifts so far that that line is just constantly changing and you either have to kind of um check yourself every every time there's like a major improvement in society or major incident in society or whatever you know you've always got to make sure like well which you know where what are my values and constantly having to for me anyway i'm always uh, questioning them and making sure that their current in a way like they fit with they fit with you know like the, the changes in society and that's uh it's an interesting thing especially as a you know like a, a, an arab polish person i'm half half arabic half polish born in manchester but then raised in west africa you know like i have you know my my parents are both immigrants to this country neither of them my mum couldn't speak english when she came here when she was 18 um so for me, like, especially around Brexit, there was a lot of identity questions that I had for myself and also um, a lot of frustration, obviously, just in general towards towards Brexit. But then on a deeper level, the, the realization that there will be families like my mother and father who met in this country at a young age who won't get the same opportunities that I did to settle here. I mean, it was like, was it not like Pretty Patel bringing in kind of immigration controls that would have prevented her own parents from yeah immigrating here fully yeah. it just but like you know madness i have i have you know friends um or like friends of friends or family friends you know who are from the arab um community and you know i've got friends in the you know like pakistani community and the indian community and um some of the elders are pro-brexit 
you know, and it, <laughs> it's like, I always have to have that conversation with, um, you know, especially a lot of elders in, in kind of like Asian backgrounds and Middle Eastern backgrounds, you know, like that I'm kind of related to either as friends. Um, but yeah, it's like this, this idea that, you know, um, it, it's kind of shocking to a young, uh, you know, I, I guess I wouldn't call myself a foreigner in a sense, but like, I don't, I don't necessarily, you know, it's an identity question for me. It's like, am I English or am I Polish or am I Lebanese or, you know, am I, you know, where, where do I see myself in all of this? And, um, yeah, that so, but that line's always changing for me just on an identity level. It's like, well, you, I'm constantly questioning myself. Like even last night when we were watching the game and my Spanish friend says to me, so are you English? You know, like who are you supporting right now? And I was like, well, I'm supporting England. And he was like, well, are you English? And I said, it really depends. It really depends. You know, it's, it, it's, it's hard. It's, uh, but yeah. For me, that's uh, that's all wrapped up in my music. It's all it's all part of that. It's like this constant like confusion, and you know, I think I find myself having to dissect myself a lot and then re rebuild. Depending on the conversations I have, you know, sometimes I have, I don't know, I, I seem to surround myself with people who like to chat a lot, and we we can just talk for hours about stuff like this, and it kind of. Sometimes it's good, but sometimes I end up walking home going, oh man, I've got to like, I've got to think. Got some shit to work through. I've got some shit to work through. I've never thought (laughs) about how I feel about, you know, like, you know, it was only about a year ago that, you know, I really sat down and said, well, what are, you know, where are you from? Like, what, how do you, what do you identify as? And, you know, like it took a while. It took, it took a lot of thinking to really, um, figure it out because it is a, I am, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a cocktail and it just, uh, you know, I don't know. It's, uh, but yeah, anyway. Yeah. Sorry. So <laughs> yeah, I, I do ramble. Um, but yeah, Ladlands for sure is part of this, this idea that everyone feels like they're losing control to an extent. And, um, I don't, I don't necessarily know what the solution is to that, but I'm just observing. I'm just observing, you know, whether it's, family members who feel like they're losing control of things like you know my my mum my mum being from Poland but living in England you know she she always like you know she misses home sometimes and but then she you know she's she's from a Catholic family but married into a Muslim family you know it's like there's a lot of you know my, my family is quite a mix really it's a really kind of um quite a large melting pot of different people um so that i guess maybe i i I end up these questions arise a lot more than it might it may arise for other people i don't know did creating this album bring you any answers do you think that you weren't previously aware of um yeah so i i definitely think i've i've stopped i've really stopped caring about um and I know it's kind of a cliche, but like, it's actually a really hard thing to do, like to actually stop caring about what other people think this record was just me doing what I wanted to do. Um, you know, like I, I've just come out of like a garage rock band, you know, like Sprinking was like this garage rock band on a major label and we had loads of success. And there was, you know, there's definitely expectations of what I will continue to do. And I think to an extent I've, I've continued in the same way because I was the main songwriter 
I produced our records, I mixed our records. It's going to sound pretty similar to an extent. It's the same ears. I, I'm still using the same speakers that I mixed all our records on. I haven't changed these speakers since I was 18 years old. So it's like, <laughs> you know, like it's going to sound pretty similar. Um, but at the same time, um, I was trying to just write songs I really, really enjoyed writing and just work on them for, for the pure ple pleasure of it. And at times, you know, I've, I've sent them to people and maybe they're like unsure of them or whatever, you know, but I've, I've always, well, I've always, I've always wanted to make music where I do it for the pure kind of pleasure of it. And I think that's where I'm at now. It's like, I've totally realized that dream of just doing it and um, doing it because you love it. And I think when I started sprinkling about six, seven years, seven, eight years ago, um, it was because I'd listened to Ty Seagal and he had, at the time, he had so many records on Spotify and, you know, some of the music was amazing and some of it was like, you know, I wouldn't listen to it. And, uh, but I always wanted to do that. I was like, I just want to write music and just have record after record that people can like listen to if they want to and but whatever like as long as i'm doing it for the love of it but i think in sprinting i slowly felt a bit trapped because you as you get signed and as you get picked up there starts to you start to have the whole campaign trail and you start it's a difficult infrastructure to do that in. yes 100 percent um and i had a great time in the band and um wrote a lot of songs i'm proud of um but now dead nature is just like well you know, I'm a bit older. I've definitely, um, you know, I've toured and I've seen loads of great places and met a lot of amazing people. And now like, I feel like my role is to write music. I love, um, purely just to, to put it out and, you know, maybe tour it here and there. But then the, the other main aspect of my life is to record with the musicians and help them out. You know, I get a lot of bands in here who've never written a press release, have no idea how to release a song like in an effective way. And one thing I enjoy is like bands coming in, spending time together on the track and then maybe maybe spending two or three hours just writing a press release together or helping them out with like... Uh, people who t who take photos or people who make music videos or like, all right, what's, what's your timeline? What's this? What's that? And, you know, because they want to play that game. There's like, I think there's different treadmills in the music industry. And I think the one I was on doesn't suit me anymore. I'm trying to take it a bit slower and then just, you know, I think, I don't know, it's like, it's that vintage wine feel, you know, I'm just, I'm just stewing over here and writing tunes, I think on a, at a different pace. Um, I have a lot of respect for the bands who are out there who are really hustling and like nonstop trying to, trying to write, you know, write and record and tour 20, like just on repeat, on repeat. But, um, I think having done that, I just, I feel like my, my, my skills are best used working with other, other artists more so than, um, focusing on touring, like, you know, like a thousand miles an hour, basically, and doing that constantly. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think, I think, um, you know, a lot of bands come in and they really appreciate it. They appreciate the time. Some of the bands don't even know what publishing is. They don't know what PRS is. They don't know, they don't know who's, who's even like collecting their royalties for them and, you know, how that all works. And I, I, th I think my skills are best used helping people 
more now than ever. Like I, you know, when I was in Sprinking, I was like, I was mixing albums in the back of the van for bands and mixing EPs. And I, you know, at the time I wasn't telling them I wasn't in the studio. I was just sending them mixes and I was getting into hotel rooms and putting my laptop out and just working. And you know, I rarely drank on tour. I was always thinking about like other things I could do in music, like in terms of like, how else can I help? What else can I do? You know, like it just, it was just never enough. So yeah, I've, I've kind of come to this point now where with, with this album, I'm just releasing it for the pure pleasure of it. And um, I'm, I'm fortunate to have like a good team on board who like really love the tracks and want to push them. And it's a self-release through Dead Nature Records, um, which has been like a risky kind of financial investment, but it's something I want to do because I want to do it completely off my own back. And I don't, I don't want to get tied up in any record label deals or anything like that. I don't know. I, I, there's a lot of bands doing it as well. There's a lot of bands self-releasing these days. And I think it is a very important route to explore. Maybe not to go down. Maybe it's not for everyone, but um, it's worth exploring. And I think I try and encourage bands. I say, well, you know, if there's four of you in the band, well, why don't you take over socials? You take over like the management stuff. If you don't have a manager yet, you know, like really structure the band into like a, a, a well-oiled machine. Like why do you have to always rely on people? If people currently aren't interested or you can't find the right person to jump on board, you're, you are able. And, you know, in Sprinking, we all had like certain roles, um, so I think it's important. I think it's important for bands to kind of like realize that like the power is in them as well to be able to do things. It's more about whether you want to do it or not, you know? It comes back to control a little bit. Yeah, comes. Yeah, I think so. I think it comes back to uh, control and just understanding where everything is and where everything sits. What, you know, do you know where everything is around you? Because you have to know, you've got to know You've got to know how, how, how your music not only comes out there, but how it operates and how, how people consume it. And, um, because you know, the, the, the biggest issue that I have with some bands is when they come in, we have a great time recording the music and then they complain about the label or they complain about the way it's being processed or managed or whatever. And it's like, well, what do you know about the system? Like, if you don't know about it, you've got to learn, like it's, you can't, these days, like it's very rare. It's a lottery for you to become a rock star in the sense that you don't have to know anything and you'll make money. Like that's not, you know. I don't think anyone exists like that anymore. It's just not the way it is, you know. And um, there are some a lucky few who maybe you know. Even then, like you know, I've got so much respect. Um, like you know, people reference 1975 a lot, but those guys know. They know a lot. Like, and they they've always known a lot about how the how the the kind of the system works um, because they spend like 10 years grafting before they got signed. They're from like um, the same hometown as me. You used to play with them a little bit, didn't you? Um, yeah. So like um, they, they, they came to my house a few times to record drive like I do stuff um, back in the day. That'd be funny if that drive like I do album comes out now and there'd be some stuff on it maybe <laughs> that was from that time. I wonder if they will have had it remixed by like some big A-list mixer. That's the, you know, that's the, <laughs> that's the way it always goes. Um, but yeah, you know, like even, even with them, like I've watched them graft for years before they got signed and they knew, they knew what was going on around them completely. So like to, to act, I guess to like ignore and neglect 
the things around you because you just want to focus on the music. I don't think it's enough these days. And it's the sad truth. It's not, it shouldn't be that way. Like you should have good systems in place. And there are amazing people in the industry who are there to help you and protect you. And, but then they're few and far between. So you've got to know it yourself as well. I mean, to use that term rock star as well, if you think about people like, you know, Travis Scott and Drake and stuff, they're businessmen. Yeah. Kanye West is probably the best example yeah, yeah. of that with what he's done with Yeezys as well. They're all, yeah, yeah. businessmen. 100%. 100%. And that's the thing, like, they, they, they've they only gotten to that point because they've been probably screwed over so many times. You just, your skin gets thicker and thicker with every kind of, everything that falls through or messes up or, you know, doesn't come the way it should. It has to. Yeah. Because the alternative is that you give up. If you don't allow it to, you know, kind of harden your armor. Yeah. You don't have a chance. Exactly. So it's, yeah, you know, I find myself with bands and some of them are heartbroken in some ways because of the, the, the situations that are not in their favor sometimes. And, um, I think it's really important these days that bands try and learn as much as they can where possible and share, share with each other as well. Like share, share, share information between bands. Like how, you know, I get messages all the time. Like who's your distributor? Who's your radio plugger? What do you do for this? And I'm, I have no, I have no interest in hiding that stuff. I tell them straight away. These are, these are the people I work with. I can share your music with them and if they like it, I'll get back in touch. I'm always up for helping. Um, but yeah, you know, like I, I don't want to say Dead Nature is the project I do once I've kind of like fully moved on. I still have my head in music in the sense that I want to release music. I want to make music, but I don't necessarily want to do it in the same way I did before. And I think that kind of is... Um, that's okay. You know, people think, oh, well, you've got to, you're, you're going to have to tour. You're going to have to get back on the road. You're going to have to do all these things. And I say, yeah, I do. But like, you've got to do them in your own way. Um, because the thing that I saw a lot when I was touring in Spring King was a lot of other bands struggling with their mental health. And I was quite fortunate that the way my life has gone, I've been able to kind of uh, protect myself before or learn skills a lot sooner than joining a band. Um, so by the time I was in Spring King, I had already had a lot of skills and techniques to like protect myself and to make sure I was respecting my body and my mind. And But like, I know a lot of people who, who, ha who learn that stuff on the road and that's tough. And um, it's not a good place to learn that. Not a good place. So, you know, but there's, there's, a, there's a lot of good stuff as well. You know, we're, we're going into the heavy stuff here, but like <laughs> there's a lot of good stuff happening as well. It's just, I think, you know, I'm, I'm always focusing on like the the stuff that needs improving or where that line is and how much you know about the other side and how much information you have about this and that. And that's that's always how my head spin. Like I, I never switch off. Once I've done something, I'm onto the next thing. And I'm like, well, how do I improve on that? And how do I, how do I make sure I'm doing it for the pure, like, I guess like love of it. You know, I don't, I don't ever want to do stuff anymore where I'm doing it gritting my teeth or not enjoying it and that's just that's cool that's cool by me you know if it means i have to do other stuff on the side that's fine um i think you know there's there's a there's a lot to be said about like pride and integrity to what you want to achieve and not not just doing stuff for the sake of it that period you mentioned in spring king where you know you're on the road and you're getting into hotel rooms and you're mixing and you're never stopping and nothing's ever enough the first line on the new record is i can't sleep at night 
the past that brought me to my knees. Was that a reflection of that? Was that kind of heartening back to that time a little bit? Yeah. So it's um, I, I would say it's a it's a it's really a mix of a lot of experiences. Um, you know, like uh, when I was growing up, I lived with my grandma a lot. You know, my grandma spoke no English, just Polish, and I spent many years with her, just like you know in my teens kind of was this in Poland no this was in England so my grandma my grandma came over to England to take care of me um on and off for quite a few years and um I think that that song that that line is just like the amalgamation of my life and it's like it's and, and to some extent it's like it's it's something I've I feel like I've overcome and I just wanted to write about it from the perspective of how I used to feel. It was like, and it, the thing is like, Watch Me Break Apart was also like this massive reflection of where like I felt the world was going. And I was like, well, how do I write about the world without getting political? Because I, I really, for me personally, like I've always struggled to be quite, um, I'm not very articulated and I'm not very good when it comes to expressing my political views in a very um, technical way. So, Those songs seldom age well too, though. Yeah. Local, kind of very like on the nose ones don't tend to look too good 20 years on or whatever. Yeah, I guess, you know, I think like, especially like post-punk right now is is it's where it's at for that kind of, um, that lyrical expression. But for me, I just can't, I can't do it in the same way. So I was like, well, how do I talk about like the world falling apart? To me, it, it felt like at the t late 2019, early 2020, I was like, something's happening here. And it, it just it just felt really weird. Like, I read a lot of like, read a lot of the news, I read a lot of politics, a lot of Noam Chomsky, and I'm kind of like, fuck, something's happening. You know, like this is, you know, everyone, I, I know every generation says that because there's always stuff that challenges every generation so everyone always says there's something happening but this was my moment for for my 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 life experience i was like something's happening like i remember the iraq war when i was like 15 and like you know going to the marches and watching you know tony blair on tv and watching them like the first you know like the first um night bombing of iraq and stuff on a tv and like but like i didn't really click with it i was like well you know it's a war abroad whatever you know like i was i was so young so kind of like i, I knew it was messed up but i didn't really understand why it was happening and then you know so when i hit like uh 2019 2020 i was like this is my moment this is where i feel like everything is like really fucked <laughs> yeah to put it quite bluntly uh but Watching Me Break Apart was all about that. It was just like watching the world fall apart, but also like, how can I write about this in a way that like connects with me and the things I've seen in my life? So yeah, it's it, it definitely an element of sprinking in the sense like I toured really heavily and I was just exhausted by the end of it. And I was, I was working really hard on our records, but also on other bands' music to the point where I just had to stop. You know, I had to really like, and the only way, the only way was to get off the ride. That was the most productive solution. And for me, the best, the best approach to kind of like just having a breather was just, and I think, I, I think when Sprinking broke up, I didn't take on any work for a couple of months. Uh, didn't, didn't do anything for a couple of months. Um, what did you do in that couple of months instead? Just well, the interesting thing is like when you're touring, you're, um, you, well, for me anyway, and then I know a lot of other musicians experience this as well, but you kind of get sick of listening to music 
um, in in the way of like consuming new music because you're either in a studio listening to your stuff 24-7, you're either mixing it in my, because I am I was mixing it and producing it. So you're either, you're constantly obsessing. You're always in it. You're always in it or you're at a show. So you're watching a support band or you're watching, you're doing a sound check or you're, you're you know, comparing yourself to whatever record is about to come out by another band and all that stuff. So when I was in Sprinking, I used to listen to a lot of music that was totally opposite to what we did. I would never listen to like other indie rock bands or garage rock bands. Not, not, not to the extent people may assume considering you play that genre. I would always listen to Bossa Nova, Tropicalia, uh, jazz music. I was obsessed with like bebop or like vocal, vocal quartets, like the four freshmen, the ink spots, or even like Chet Baker, whatever, you know, like anything that was like the total opposite to what I do. That's what I did. But when Sprinking broke up and I decided not to take on any more productions or mixes, all of a sudden like this floodgate opened where I became obsessed with music again. And I had no idea it was, it was going to happen like that. I just, I don't know. I just woke up one day after like a week and I pressed, I just pressed play on like a playlist and I was like listening to some music and like I heard, I think it was Sharon Van Etten, Comeback Kid. And nice. Big tune. You know, it's like, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this, this is what I've been missing in my life. I like completely lost my shit. I was like, I had it on repeat about a hundred times maybe in that week. It was just, <laughs> I couldn't stop listening to it. From that spot, I like spiraled into like, obsessing over music again and i was like this is what it's about this is what like this is what this has always been about this has always been about music and it's always you know because i think when you're in a band like you obviously enjoy yourself and you love like touring was amazing and writing songs and getting them on like like your your childhood dream games like fifa and guitar hero that's sick but then at the same time like there's a lot of like um self-deprecation and like, oh, I'm not good enough. We didn't get that slot that had that we didn't get that festival because we're not good enough and this is not good enough. And are oh, the album's not selling well enough. So we're, we're shit or whatever, you know, like there's a lot of like um, self-doubt involved. And um, I think when I just had that, that period of three months where I did nothing, I, I just became obsessed with like what this is all about, the core of the music industry, the core of, or everything that we do is producers, mixers, journalists, uh, booking managers, tour managers, whatever. It all spins around music and that can get lost very quickly, I think. And I think, I think it's because we're all, a lot of us, I'd say like 95% of us are doing this for cheaper than we're worth and we shouldn't be in a way or for nothing or for nothing <laughs> completely nothing doing it for free you know i i won't say what label it was but one of my first jobs as a mixer a really big big label haggled me down to 50 pound a track and now where i'm at now eight ten, that was 10 years ago if they had said that figure now 50 pound a song like I would be an idiot to say yes, but like I was so young and so kind of up for it and you know, all that kind of stuff. But like, yeah, like 95% of us are doing this for way, way less than we should, or if not nothing. Um, and I think because of that, there is an element of like, you do get a bit jaded or you do get 
you feel you feel burnt out quicker because you're doing it and there's no reward for it um sometimes so you know it's really it's re uh, that's like a th another big thing i'm uh, like a i guess a an ambassador of is like making sure people get credit where it's due and people are financially rewarded relative to what they're doing you know it's like did things change at all for you then when you started to get some form of an income off of music yeah for sure like I've, um, i think i've always be, i think this goes back to my own experience as a teenager and like living with my grandma and um, you know, like my parents weren't really around for a lot of my teen years, like 14 to 19, you know, like there was in and out kind of thing. And because of that, I learned very quickly to like not be as jaded by things because like things can be really tough sometimes or challenging. So I think, um, yeah, of course, like, um, like being financially <laughs> paid for something definitely takes the edge off uh, working your ass off on it. And I think when I started to mix bands and produce bands, that's when I really started to feel a lot better because all of a sudden there was like a, there was like a, a transaction in place. So you, f it's kind of like that red notification thing, you know, like w when you first start doing music, there is no like a uh, transaction. You're just performing and hoping it gets bigger and bigger and better and better and more people come. And, you know, you're not really seeing any financial reward for that, but you are seeing like a, a recognition and you are seeing like people write about you in a positive way, hopefully, or play you on the radio and stuff like that. But even then you're still waiting around. And I think um, the point at which I started getting a lot more mixing and production work was when I felt really good. I felt like, okay, not only is this getting recognized for its like, for its creativity, it's also getting recognized as like, there's like a transaction in place, which kind of makes it like an official thing. I felt, I felt like I was a professional, you know, like, and that felt good because, um, you know, like a little bit validated. Yeah. Like it validates you on in a different way. It validates you in a way that when you're sat at a table at a pub with your friends and some of them might have jobs as, you know, what I would call real jobs because I'm so, I don't, <laughs> you know, I'm so bad about myself. Um, you know, like when you're sat at a table and they're like, oh, you know, well, uh, I'm, I do this and this is this and this, how much, you know, like they, they can do things with their life and stuff, you know, like, and that for me, that was really tough a few years ago. Like even five years ago, I was really like, I'd be embarrassed. I'd be really shy to call up and they say, oh, what's your profession, sir? You know, when, you, when you're talking about like car insurance or whatever, and you're like, I'm a musician, you know, and you just know it's like this red flag on their system. Um, and that was like, you know, something that I think I'll, I'll personally always struggle with that, that kind of like, it's, you know, like when I, when I met my, um, my partner's parents and I had to tell them I was a musician, I felt really like, oh man, I'm going to get absolutely destroyed here. But it didn't, it, it didn't go that way, but it's like, it's a, it's a, it's an internal thing for sure. It's not, I don't, I don't, I definitely don't see other musicians like that. I just see myself like that for some reason. But yeah, when, when you are validated financially, it does make it a little bit easier. It makes it feel like, okay, not only can you do this creative creatively, but you can do it and be, you can make a living from it as well. So, And it becomes sustainable. Yeah. Because initially there's, there's a lot of uncertainty about kind of getting into this field at the get-go. Yeah. 
for sure. There's, a, you, you take it, you take quite a big risk doing it. Like I, I got my first credit card when I got out of uni and I racked up about 10 grand. I maxed it out with all sprinking stuff, petrol, flat tires, quick fit bills, paying for- It's s- always flat tires. That's what gets you all the little things tires, that you don't expect man. to happen. They can be like 250 quid, including recovery. It's ridiculous. You know, like it, it can get any anything that we, we needed in the early days, um, any gear I needed, if we needed to print posters or CDs, you know, whatever, like t-shirts. I was really racking it up and very quickly. Um, and I wouldn't recommend that to anyone because I was very stressed. You know, I was like touring, but then going home and just worrying about my finances because of that. But, you know, in the end, it it, it pays off because I'm here and I've, I'm so fortunate to have a studio. I record bands nearly every day or I work on my own music now. Like I have no problem with doing that all again, even though it was tough. Would you, if you could go back? I wouldn't, I don't, I have no regrets. That's for sure. So that's good. If I if I had the knowledge I had now, maybe I would have done it smarter. But at the same time, maybe it wouldn't have worked. Because like sometimes you have to be, you can't be so smart that you won't take a risk. You know, like like risks risks are important, and um, you can't be so smart that you analyze everything to the point where you decide not to do it. Because sometimes you got to do stupid things, and I think they either they either give you like. Um, thicker skin or they give you a learning experience on what not to do or you know there's loads of stuff there's i think failing is really important and i definitely feel like i failed a lot before i did anything that was recognized by anyone so um yeah (laughs) do it mess up (laughs) mess up a few times well i heard you're a believer in parallel universes as well right (laughs) yeah I, i yeah i definitely i definitely don't believe we're definitely don't believe we're alone that's for sure that's uh you know like i I believe in parallel universes um i do believe in alien life but not not in the area 51 style but you know maybe some organisms crawling around on a planet millions of miles i always like that theory that they could be all around us that we just can't perceive them that's cool yeah yeah like that that you know maybe when we don't have the, the the right kind of um visual visual spectrum or auditory spectrum to be able to pick up on these things. And we don't know, man. Like I, I, I really don't. One thing that really like bugs me is when people are so definitive with what, what we know, and what we don't know, especially, especially in science where it's always expanding. You know, there are things we know now, but then we cannot categorically always say that we know something it's just i mean if you look back to science of 200 years ago most of it's wrong now yeah like we've cut, yeah. we've moved past most of it and there was a point then when you would have had the smartest minds in the world would have been dead certain that this is it yeah. this is what we know and it's totally but that was man going back to it that's the line that's that line and we all you know if we if me and you were around 100 years ago we'd be like yep we're right and that's the line and if you if you're on the other side of it you're 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 crazy or whatever and that that's always moving it's always changing um so you know it's 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 important to have an open mind to to everything literally everything um except for horrific 
horrific stuff, you know, that we can all agree on. To come back to the idea of parallel universes, I was going to ask when you look at what you've achieved so far, are there particular moments that feel like they were very much on a knife edge and it could have gone one way, but it was just fortunate enough that it happened to... For sure. Go away that feels very important now in retrospect. Um, if we're going back to like the sprinking days, for instance, we were so happy at one point. We were touring with like Courtney Barnett. We just uh, got off a tour with Courtney Barnett and we'd done South by Southwest and we were totally cool. Like we were all like, yeah, this is great. We're just touring, having fun. We had no expectations. And that's something we always had. We had like, as in we, we always avoided having a bucket list we never wanted a bucket list and there was a parallel universe moment where like we'd had a couple plays on radio one by this point and um like at one point zane Lowe was playing city a couple times on radio one and then he moved over to apple and then he played it on beats one radio and it was like the, the first song right yeah the first ever song on the radio and that was a moment for us where like i was like this is not real uh because it's like the, I, I wasn't even tuned in to be completely open and honest. Like, I think it was a really sunny day. I was in my garden and I was with some friends and we were having a barbecue and, uh, That would have been the perfect place to have it on. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> we actually, I, I don't think we even had any music out there. I, literally, we didn't have any, like we didn't have a radio out there. Like we just were cooking some food and then I just started getting these texts and it was like, congratulations, congratulations. I was like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> like, and I just remember like opening my Twitter and the, like all the sprinkling Twitter. Um, and it was like fucking like 3000 notifications in, in an hour. Shit. You know, it was, it was surreal. Like we had people tracking down my mobile number for like papers. I'd never even thought would, contact us like wired magazine and new york today and all these like really random places that like i would never associate our music with and um that was a parallel universe moment for sure the other parallel universe moment was when i was at university which is really what sparked off my whole songwriting journey uh i went to university to study sound technology which is like really maths heavy physics heavy electronics like I was actually, I went to Lipper, which is the performing institute um, here in Liverpool and it's Paul McCartney's. So he set it up for actors, musicians, sound technology, students, anyone in the creative arts world, I guess. Quite a lot of people then, have come out of there, haven't they? Yes. Like Mike Crossy came out of there. So yeah, he's obviously done like 1975 and Blood Red Shoes and loads of other stuff. Like, yeah, crazy stuff. Um, there's definitely a few others, especially from our our generation, who are like John Gilmore, who works with 1975, um, Caesar and Paz, who both do like loads of big indie bands right now. Um, but yeah, so like uh, we, a lot of us were on the technology course, which was really not uh, not music friendly in the sense that we didn't we weren't really playing music we were just recording it and working on other people's music and uh we had one module in our final final degree where we could write songs if you want so you can either use the module to record someone else's ep or write your own ep and i was like fuck it this is my f i'm gonna write some songs i've never written in my life really like i'd really i could i could play drums but i could barely play guitar i didn't know many chords and um 
Well, he, I, I decided to write some songs and one of them was Rivers, which I've just put out again as Dead Nature last week. Um, but back then it was under another band title, which I just, I just rustled up for the, for the coursework submission. So I submitted the coursework and really had a lot of fun making it, recorded a lot of it myself. And it was probably in some ways the, the prototype for the Sprinking model. When I submitted it to coursework about a month after graduating, I got an email from Channel 4 that they wanted to use it for skins as like the official soundtrack for the whole season. Um, so, and they were like, it's going to be in the cinema, it's going to be on the radio, it's going to be on TV, it's going to be everywhere. And I was like, yeah, right, I'll believe it when I see it kind of thing. <laughs> and um, in the end it happened, like they, you know, we signed a contract and they paid me like really, really some good money at the time. And uh, yeah, I that was so surreal. Like it was everywhere. And... I hadn't even got a band together for it. It wasn't a band. It was just some coursework. And I had like, I think every major label in London at the time had contacted me to have a meeting to, to see where I was going to take it. Um, because they were just like, who are you? Where's this come from? And at the time skins was so big. Um, so that was a parallel universe moment as well. It was totally surreal, unexpected. Um, but really gave me the boost I needed to then continue writing songs and learning how to write music. Um, so yeah, m much, much needed and a very important like milestone in what then turned into composing full time, basically. Why did you decide to come back to that now then? Why bring it on to this first solo record? I think because it, for me, it's like a full circle moment. Like I always wanted that song to um i want to be able to play it live and if i don't release it as dead nature then people won't know it when it when i play it live and i th it did really well back then like the track has like the original track has like i think like three hundred thousand plays on youtube which back in like 2011 that was a lot of plays i think yeah. for like an indie <laughs> band um so like for me that was like as as well as it did like in terms of sync it, it didn't really do anything for me on an emotional level as an artist for like performance wise and for like for it to just to be part of like my regular um songs that i want to play live next year so yeah for me like rivers was i needed i wanted to get it back in there and it was also a bit of like a, a little nod to where it where this was where this is all started from that, like that was the first song I'd really given a go. I was, you know, on the sound tech course, loads of incredible musicians on the music course who were, who I was very intimidated by, who were like, you know, studying music. So they were musicians and I was a sound tech. So I had to record your music and that's all I did. And there was like a very clear divide. Um, so for me, that song was like me, like trying it out and knocking down that barrier, knocking down that barrier and also not feeling, cause I, I used to fail a lot of the, technical stuff like I, I had to reset a few exams um because i was never good at never good at the technical stuff but always good at the the actual being in the studio and pressing record and mixing stuff like the ear the ear stuff basically rivers for me is just like that full circle kind of thing did you have it in your mind from quite early on was it something you kind of had with you as you were working on the other songs that surround it yeah i think there was always an intention to get it out there and it was just about when because um, I, I had an EP out before this album and um, 
I kind of didn't want to put it out too soon because I was like, well, you know, um, I'd rather give people lots of new music first because there are some people who will know Rivers and some people who won't. So I was like, I'll just put it out on the album because that way I'm not, you know, I think it's important to like give, like if, if someone wants to listen to my music, I'd rather they had four brand new tracks that they'd never heard for sure. Like hundred percent, they haven't heard them kind of thing. But then like, I've already started writing the second, like whatever comes next. I, I say second album, but it's probably not going to be, I don't know what it's going to be yet, but I have like seven songs already recorded, which, you know, because of this place, like I can just pick up a guitar or drums or whatever, and I can just go basically. Um, so that, you know, the plan for Dead Nature is to be, to realize that dream of constantly putting out music when and as I wish, as opposed to like waiting on the infrastructure of the music industry to help me. Um, and that's tough, you know, like it means sometimes I won't be able to release things physically because of like the financial constraints of it, but that's okay. Like as long as people can access it in some form, I, that's, that's what matters to me the most. Um, you know, like I, I think, I don't know, I, I, I feel like, it's a bit of a tricky one to say, but then I don't necessarily, I'm not trying to sell myself in a certain way. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of musicians who on stage have a certain aesthetic, but off stage are in their pajamas on their iPhones. And it's like that, that there's that like complete disparity or like contrast between their on stage, like artistic experience sometimes, or the perception that they want to give and then versus they're at home. I, you know, I, I want to release music that feels quite at home to me. I don't want to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm too old to be selling myself in a certain, like in a certain way. That's for sure. Um, you market yourself by not marketing yourself. Yeah. I guess that, you know, and of course that is a, that is an aesthetic, isn't it? But then I feel like it's a less used aesthetic right now. Um, and I don't, I don't know if that's even the right word to describe what I mean. I just, I think what I mean is I don't, I don't necessarily have any, any intentions of over-marketing myself to a certain demographic or with a certain look in mind. I'm just, you know, like, uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the most like rock star kind of person or the, 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 the kind of, you know, there's a lot of people who do like the anti-social media look, which is like bands who don't have social media for ages, but you know, a lot of time, like from having spoken to that feels like a little bit of a gimmick now too, though. Yeah, like, you know, I've spoke to PR companies who have bands on their roster who do that stuff and it's all planned, it's all strategic and everything's strategic, you know, like, you know, like philosophically speaking, everything is a strategy, um, but I'm trying to avoid the over-strategic strategy, if that makes sense, you know. Because it starts to feel a little bit clinical. Yeah, it, feel, it feels, I, I think, you know, if, if, if you're, if, if we're going to say, what kind of vibe are you going to give off? What's your aesthetic? Well, my aesthetic is like that, that kind of like, yeah, like dad vibes in a way, you know, I want to say dad vibes. I'm not even, I'm not even a father, but it feels like dad vibes, you know, like I'm just writing tunes because I, I really enjoy the process. I'm, uh, you know, like, and yeah, the, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get it though. Like it all comes back around to like which treadmill are you running on and what type of um, experience in the music industry do you want to have? Because there are people who are playing a very clear game and there is a game to be played 
There, there really is in certain channels of it. But there's also a lot of people who are releasing music on a very different like wavelength. And that, you know, there's there's hundreds of channels. There's so many channels to, in which you can you can you can kind of um, release and in which you can experience and interact with the music industry. And um, I think because I was in quite an extreme one before, you know, where you're like quite a a well-known upcoming indie band in the UK music scene. And, you know, there are like, I had a lot of fun making that music because that at the time, that's what I loved making. It's very different. It's very different to where I'm at now. And I can only ever judge myself now based on where I've been and relative to what I've experienced. Um, you kind of mentioned that there does, there can be a slight sacrifice and that you might not always be able to get physical releases or certain other things when it comes to this method of just releasing it as feels right. Does that feel like a far better sacrifice to you than having to exist within that very fast moving infrastructure? Yeah, I think so. I think it's important to, well, depend, you know, this comes literally again, like comes back around to what you want to achieve with your experience of the music industry and your music. Uh, for me now, it's it's less about like maximizing sales or like getting as many people to the shows as opposed to like it's more about me putting out music when i feel mentally like i want to like i don't ever want to be at a point where i'm so frustrated because i'm sat on 10 songs and i can't get them out for another 8 months which hasn't really happened to me to that extreme but i know i know bands who have been sat on their music for 2 years and I spoke to a guy recently like that and he just said it drove him up the wall. Yeah, it breaks people. It really breaks people. And that's not, that's not what music's about. So, well, for me anyway, I've always got to put in the disclaimer. This is for me, you know, this is like how I want to experience <laughs> music. And some people it's like, well, that's just the way it is. And there's a strategy and everyone's got to be on board and you've got to maximize your ticket sales. And two years is the perfect amount of time. And for me, it's like, okay, but what I want to do is just put out music when I feel good. And when it feels good, when the music feels exciting to me, and I'm like, fuck, I want to drop this. I want to put it out there. I mean, in the age of the internet, that feels like a model that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, for sure. Because it's so instantaneous and in our interaction with it, it feels like that's a more natural way to go about it. Yeah, I, I, I agree. But I think once you integrate things that cost money, then you start questioning the timing of it because you're like, well, okay, we've just printed a thousand records. So if we just, if we throw out all these tunes now, we're not going to maximize the amount of times we can talk about the record coming out and how many times we can sell it and all that stuff. So like, it, it comes back around to like, how much are you spending and how much do you want back for what you're putting out there? How much work you're doing, you know? And if you, if you start spending money on music videos and touring and records and you rack up like a hundred grand bill, you know, which some bands do. Then I, I a lot of bands do. A lot of bands do. I can understand <laughs> why the label are like, well, we can't just put this all out there right now because we need to make the most of this because we need a return. And that's you know, that's, you know, it's 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 not the most sexy thing to talk about money in the music industry, but that's how like labels can sometimes see it. Like, but the way the way I want to do Dead Nature is. I don't want to think about that stuff if I can avoid it. So if it means not putting out records on certain releases, that's okay. That's fine. Because the priority is putting out music when it feels good for you. That might not be the most um, hype thing because I think, you know, there is an element of like 
when you are paying for like videos and records to be made and um, there's like a lot of investment in you, you also want to maximize the hype in you so that it all kind of peaks at the same time, like a, like a conductor at a philharmonic, you know, you, you want it all to like crescendo at the same time and drop together and whatever. But I'm trying, you know, like uh, I, I, I personally feel the, the way I feel inside is like much more aligned with just putting it out for the pleasure of it now. And I'm very fortunate to be able to do that. But I think that comes from making like an income from producing and mixing bands and being able to like transfer some of that energy back into myself and do it in a way that feels good. And I think, you know, like obviously I don't know a lot about Dan Carey, but like what he's doing with Speedy is just incredible. And like being able to put out music like that is just, you know, it's phenomenal really in an industry like this. And it's, it's really cool. Um, and but obviously yeah if I, I i think if i started releasing other bands music on dead nature records maybe that would become a thing where i'd have to like start and i would feel bad i don't know i don't know how how i would feel about telling a band like yeah we have to wait another 10 months to put out this ep because of this this and this and i don't i don't want to you become the label guy i don't want to tread into those waters <laughs> you know i'm happy to tell myself that because then i have to deal with it but i, I you know I, d I don't know. It, it depends. It really depends. Sometimes it's for the best, but sometimes like it's just a gamble. Like I really do think it's, um, there's a lot of skill involved. You know, a lot of A&Rs are super talented and very organized at what they do, but there's also still a lot of gambling involved. And there's a lot of times where you release music and it comes out on the same day as the football or it comes out on the same day as Brexit's announced or whatever, you know, like, and you can't plan for these things all the time. You can move them left and right of it, you know, especially like during um, the pandemic, there were so many moments where like a lot of bands were rescheduling because there was a lot more important things going on, you know, especially in America and over here, like the, the, all the Black Lives Matter protests, for instance, like that was not for me personally a time to be releasing music. That was, you know, a time to kind of actually keep my socials a bit more quiet and let let that space be made available for for much more important things and yeah you can't always plan as a label for things and i understand that so but you you know that's the that's the risk you take when you are investing in something musically like on the business side of it it's really cool to hear as well what you were saying about the way that you get a certain energy from producing other bands that you can then feed back into working on your own stuff yeah where do you kind of see that relationship between the two of those things developing in future well it's interesting because I'm so lucky to work with bands because it means I can learn from them. Like I'm, I feel like I've done a lot of recording, but I still learn and the bands are getting younger and younger. Like I'm working with like bands who have never heard of like block party before. Like literally like, there was a band six months ago who I said the, the name block party and they'd never heard of block party or. Brings uh, a tear to my eye. <laughs> <laughs> so like I'm working with younger and younger bands and instead of like trying to like force, you know, music that's maybe 20 years old on them as a reference, which is cool, you know, like to have a, have a listen, but at the same time, it's like, well, I've got to learn. I've got to, ch I've got to change the way I think about music and um, the way I consume it because I always want to make sure I'm consuming music in a way that's like current and like challenges me and makes me feel, you know, kind of like makes me feel like I'm listening to things I would never listen to. Um, and that I do that a lot more than ever, but I also learn a lot more than ever 
from the way a lot of songwriters practice or write music or perform music. And for instance, you know, like it's very common these days to like, uh, even in the indie world to, to like start a song using splice as like a, a starting point and just importing a load of samples in using them to start your baseline, to start your keys parts, getting the drum sample and then writing the lyrics over it and then re-performing everything in your own way and in a more suited way to yourself. And at first I couldn't get on board with that. I thought it was like, it wasn't like authentic or something, but I was like, who the fuck am I kidding? Like, it, like the, the final product sounds incredible coming out of speakers, like all that energy and effort into doing that, then re-recording it, re-performing it, right you know it doesn't matter if it sounds good it sounds good and on the one hand my, my philosophy's always stayed the same and I've, i say this to bands when they're arguing they'll be arguing on the sofa shouting each other about whatever and i'll just say i really don't care how we get there i really don't care if we use a real amplifier or not if we use you know a valve amp or not like i really couldn't give a damn as long as it sounds good and um, but one thing that's ha that's challenged me is learning how they write like the way bands are writing these days is just like um it's totally different to how i would have written songs and i didn't really write songs in an orthodox way either but i feel like more so than ever it's like way heavier sample based like just picking up loops from everywhere even for indie bands you know it doesn't have to be electronic or hip-hop to do that these days and that's really cool i think that's really exciting and um yeah feeding that into dead nature is it, that's what excites me so like my next record whatever i do next i'm gonna i'm i'm actually at the moment compiling a set of challenges to what i can do with the record so like per, perhaps no real bass guitar at all you're not allowed a real bass on the next set of songs uh maybe the snare drum always has to be a digital snare drum it can't be an organic thing uh you know try just trying like micro things that could change the sound a little bit and um enforcing rules on myself in order to make something different because otherwise I feel like my natural comfort zone would always pull me in a certain direction and I think if I'm to do something different next time I have to make sure that I I I do that to myself that's the only way I work like if I'm trying to lose weight or something I can't have sweets in the house it's you know some people are like oh it's all about moderation you know I don't weigh anything and I you know I you just you know you just got to have it all you know in moderation and three plates a day. And, you know, I'm like, I can't do that. That's just not how my mind works. So I have to set, I have to, I have to set like a structure in, in order to like achieve things. Um, so musically, I think I'm going to set myself some rules, uh, you know, like drums, drum wise, I can only have like four microphones on the drums again. I used to do that back in the sprinkling days, but then I slowly, as budgets got bigger and more and more bands came to me, I started like tracking like 12, 13, too many mics. So I was like, so I'm going to go back and I'm going to say, no, okay. So three or four mics maximum, three of them have to be a uh, subgroup down to a mono file before you can mix it kind of, you know, just like limitations and yeah, I think from watching other bands work, I think I've picked up on like the use of samples in the sense of like starting a song by uh, using other people's samples as a starting point and then getting rid of them and then replacing it with something of your own. Um, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But like, you know, I do learn a lot from bands. I think it's good to just kind of 
stay open-minded to like young younger people you know like i'm i I do i I keep saying young and i keep saying i'm old i'm only 32 but i do feel like sometimes that that difference is made very apparent especially when you're comparing musical tastes and you haven't heard what they're listening to and they haven't heard what you've been listening to in your life you know and that's i think it's important to kind of bridge that gap as much as possible yeah it's a challenge but it's 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 well worth it planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 